We're all starting to settle into the rhythm of our retreat together, our time together. And at least for me, I'm already starting to feel like the beginning, the first days of the retreat have receded. And we're entering into the kind of middle phase of the retreat, the almost timeless phase where it's just days just tumble on with the same pattern each day. It can be a really beautiful time where the beginning of the retreat has receded and the end of the retreat is far enough away that we're not really even contemplating it. I appreciate this time both as a teacher and as a yogi where we just begin to settle into this rhythm, start to watch our minds, start to get familiar with the patterns of our own minds. And there's a pattern that I know every single one of you has experienced in these last few days. And that is the pattern of the mind wandering. Of course the mind wanders. We get caught in thought, lost in thought, and yet mindfulness returns. And I'd like to explore this pattern not so much from the side of thinking about it as exploring the mind that wanders, but rather thinking about it from the perspective of exploring mindfulness, because the mind doesn't actually wander anywhere. Mindfulness disappears for a time, and then mindfulness reappears. And so this exploration can be thought of as just watching or exploring what we can learn from the comings and goings of mindfulness, from the appearance and disappearance of mindfulness. I think we often identify with being the one who's doing the practice and doing the mindfulness. But exploring it in this way is to watch it just as a, a process at work, just like all of the processes of our mind. Mindfulness is a phenomenon that arises, persists for a while, and ends. And we can explore what the conditions are that we can encourage that process to continue. And some of that exploration comes around noticing what happens as mindfulness comes and goes. Exploring it like this, I feel, at least for me, has taken some of the uh, attachment out of the doing of the practice. Taken some of the, um, you know, basically watching mindfulness as yet another phenomenon. Has taken some of the attachment out of, of uh, being the one doing the mindfulness. We get to see a lot about our minds as we explore this. One of the main things we get to understand is what is it that, what are the conditions that lead to losing mindfulness? We also 
are reminded over and over again that our minds are out of control. This is not a mistake that our minds wander. It's conditions at work leading to the disappearance of mindfulness. Conditions at work leading to the reappearance of mindfulness. And so it's a reminder of a not-self nature of mindfulness. I like to approach this exploration with curiosity rather than judgment. Again, what can we learn? What can we learn about our minds? By being curious about this phenomenon rather than judging ourselves about the fact that our minds do this. Anybody's mind not wander today? I didn't think so. (laughs) And we begin to learn about mindfulness itself, begin to get familiar with the experience of mindfulness, which actually turns out to be pretty useful to begin to get familiar with that experience of what is it like What does it feel like? What is the experience of being aware, of being mindful? And during this talk, I will be using the terms mindfulness and awareness interchangeably. I don't mean something different when I'm saying it during this talk. And I like to clarify that because sometimes teachers use the term awareness to mean other things. But in this talk in particular, I'm just using it as another term for mindfulness. And partly I like the term awareness because it's evocative. It points to that simple capacity for being with experience, being present. Other ways to frame or feel into what this experience of mindfulness is. Mindfulness can almost sound like a technical term. Awareness is more kind of familiar or or tangible. Are you aware? We can kind of ask ourselves that question and and get a hit of, yeah, I know I'm aware. I may not know exactly how I know I'm aware, but I know I'm aware. And so other ways to feel into this quality of mindfulness, being with, being present for, resting with experience. Abiding is a term that's used in the suttas, as a translation of a term used in the suttas. Actually, the, the term is related to vihara, which in the Brahma Vihara is divine abode. It talks about using that, it uses that term in the suttas to talk about abiding, being the, the abode of mindfulness. So when you think about that word abide, what does that evoke? abiding with experience. It's not so much of a doing or a trying to churn up anything. It's more of a resting back. 
Mindfulness is related to the kind of natural reflective capacity of our minds, the capacity that our minds have as human beings to know that we know. It's a a very natural human possibility. In some ways it's part of, I think, what makes us distinct as creatures, as animals. One of the pieces that really uh, highlights us, a difference between us and many other animals, although I understand there are some other animals who have this self-reflective capacity. They, They can test it in some ways. So mindfulness related to this capacity to know that we know. And yet right mindfulness directs that capacity towards a certain, with a certain view, the right view that Carol was talking about, which I'll frame very simply right now as the uh, directing that capacity towards understanding what's happening in the present moment as something that's happening in the present moment. Now that sounds like like nothing, almost, but it's very different than our usual relationship to knowing that we know. I think often when we know that we know something, we, we relate it to what it means about me or other, me or others. And so it's not just simply recognizing, oh, this is what's happening in the present moment. It always seems to be filtered through some view of me, I, mine, or them, they, theirs. And so we are exploring this capacity, we're kind, kind of cultivating this capacity to know that we know, being interested in phenomenon that happen as phenomenon in the present moment. Interest in what's happening as human experience rather than personal experience. The qualities of right mindfulness, some of the qualities that come along with right mindfulness, there's many actually when the mind is, is really present and balanced, many qualities that are cultivated there, but two in particular are it's a non-judgmental, non-reactive state that is kind of got more interest and curiosity about what's happening as a human phenomenon. Oh, this is what this is what anger feels like. This is what love feels like. This is what tingling in the body feels like. There's a piece I'd like to also clarify around mindfulness. There's a couple of functions in our mind, many functions in our mind that do take care of us, do things. Mindfulness is one of those functions of mind. As I said, it's related to that capacity to know that we know. That's its function. Mindfulness's function, to know that we know. 
to know what's happening as what's happening in the present moment. There's another capacity of mind that's related to it and sometimes is confused or conflated with mindfulness and that's the factor of attention. Our minds have this capacity to pick up or pick something out of the field of experience and attend to it. Right now I could ask you to just check in and see what's the experience of your hand. Just notice your hands. Notice the sensations of your feet. Notice the contact of your hips against the chair or cushion or bench. This is a way of directing attention. This is using that capacity that we have to choose what we're paying attention to. So this is one way that attention works sometimes. We can direct the attention. It's amenable to conscious control we can choose what to pay attention to. And we use this a lot in our, in our meditation practice. We choose, okay, I'm going to practice with seeing if I can stay with the breath. That's using the factor of attention to cultivate the mindfulness, to help support the mindfulness. The factor of attention also um, can be receptive rather than directed. It's kind of like an analogy. It's like we can choose with with our um, breath. We can choose, okay, I'm going to take a breath in now. And I'm going to take a breath out now. So we can choose to regulate our breathing. We can control that with a conscious choice. And yet if we don't choose to do that, the breath will breathe itself. And so it, it, it kind of does its own thing if we're not consciously directing the breathing in and breathing out. So attention has a kind of similar possibility. We can choose to direct the attention. But if we are not consciously directing the attention, processes uh, in our mind, habits, patterns, conditioning, are choosing what to pay attention to. And I would call this, in a way it's, it's, it's receptive because we're not engaged with a conscious choice. There is a choice, some choice being made about what to pay attention to, but it's not a conscious choice. It's not a sense of me saying, I'm going to pay attention to the breath. If we settle back and relax, and don't consciously direct the attention, attention will pick up on something or other. And so attention is functioning every single moment of our experience, whether we're choosing what to pay attention to or not. Attention is always happening. Attention happens whether we're mindful or not. If we're if we're lost, and here's an example of how to give you a sense of that, the possibility of what it means but that the mind is paying attention when we're not mindful. 
many of us have had the experience of driving and um, being lost in thought, kind of suddenly arriving at our destination and it's like, oh, I'm here. Where have I been? And so mindfulness was lost. It wasn't paying attention. And yet something was paying attention because you managed to drive and arrive at your destination safely. And so we can see that attention is working when mindfulness is not. And so we can see that there's a distinction there between attention and mindfulness. One of the ways that attention and mindfulness can get confused, at least in my own mind, especially early in my practice, was that I thought if I was not directing the attention, then it wasn't mindfulness. If I wasn't choosing what to pay attention to, then I must be doing something wrong, that it, it can't be mindfulness. Mindfulness can know what's happening in the present moment as a receptive, whether it's the receptive possibility of attention kind of doing its thing, or if we're directing the attention. Both possibilities are there. And so we can settle back and be aware and mindful without choosing what to pay attention to. That's, that's the kind of beginning of exploring what we, what we might call open awareness, not, di- not undirected awareness. I, I like to call it receptive awareness because it's the feeling of it is settling back and re- letting experience come into awareness or just receiving what's already happening and not, not involving ourselves with choosing what to pay attention to. And so right now, are you aware? It's that simple check-in, are you aware? And what's obvious? Not looking for anything in particular, but just knowing I'm aware and maybe seeing is what's obvious or, or hearing the sound of my voice. Just really simple. And so we begin to explore what does it mean to be mindful? What does it mean to be aware? It's different ways that mindfulness comes about, I'd say. I guess that's the way I'd put that. A lot of the way mindfulness comes about is what we're doing here. When we're mindful, it's kind of like we're reminding ourselves to be mindful, either through connecting with a, a kind of a collecting or gathering experience, like the breath or the body or hearing. Essentially, that is a kind of a reminding ourselves, be mindful. So when we are mindful, we can remind ourselves to be mindful. This is one of the best ways to cultivate mindfulness. It does require we're already mindful to do it. And this is, uh, this is often a way, the way a lot of the instructions are, are given. You know, we, we um, and, and this is sometimes called prompted mindfulness. 
We prompt ourselves, we remind ourselves to be mindful. And we can do this in many ways, and we'll talk about, talk about this too during the retreat. Simple ways of just staying connected to a particular experience, or just reminding yourself, am I aware? Or checking in, am I aware? That's a kind of a prompting, asking the question. You're probably not going to ask the question unless you're already aware. And so it's kind of a prompting, a reminding. Right, check in. What is it like to be aware? And so that's one way that mindfulness comes about is through prompting it, reminding ourselves to be mindful when we're already mindful. The other way mindfulness comes about, and fortunately this happens, and it happens a lot, is what's sometimes called unprompted mindfulness. This is the kind of mindfulness, this is the mindfulness that happens every time you get lost in thought and come back. That moment when it's kind of like the waking up, oh, I'm back. So this is that side of the wandering mind. The mind has wandered, lost in thought, and at some point, the light, it's like the lights come on or we're back. Mindfulness has returned. This experience of mindfulness returning happens way more than you're aware of. Often what happens when that happens, especially in our daily lives, but also here on retreat, when that mindfulness returns, if we're like, you know, doing our yogi jobs or something, and we notice we've been lost in thought, often a little bit of mindfulness comes back and, and then we start doing something with it. Instead of noticing, oh, mindfulness is back, we start doing something with it. We might, we might hear, we might say, oh, I'm back, oh, let me come back to the breath. Or in daily life it might be more that we just pick up what we've become mindful of and start thinking about it or planning what to do next because we're not really that interested in just noticing mindfulness itself. And this is what I'd like to encourage. Cultivating the recognition of mindfulness returning after the mind has been wandering, noticing that moment when mindfulness returns, getting familiar with what it feels like for mindfulness to come back is powerful because, at least in my experience, when I really started doing this practice of being curious of, okay, what's it like? In fact, kind of the question I explored was, what's the difference between not being mindful and being mindful? Joseph had given me that instruction. I was like, how do I notice what it's like not to be mindful? And I couldn't really, in a way, but I noticed that in the moment when, I, when mindfulness returned, there was a kind of a, a distinction. I could notice a, a, a kind of a, almost like my mind remembered what it was like not to be mindful in that moment as mindfulness returned. There's a recognition of the kind of fuzziness or haziness or stuckness to a thought, kind of a delusional p- uh, process going on versus the kind of recognition of, oh, back, I'm back. So when I started doing this exploration of What is it like to recognize mindfulness returning? 
it cut through my judging mind about the mind wandering. Really had a powerful impact on that because it was like, well, what I'm exploring here is noticing the difference between being mindful and not being mindful. And so it doesn't matter how many times my mind wanders, it's just every time that happens, I get another opportunity to notice that difference. So great, okay. So each time I was more interested in the return of mindfulness than judging myself for the fact that I'd not been mindful. So that was really helpful. The other piece of it that's really helpful is that it began to really highlight for me, point out for me, this experience of being mindful. Oh, this is what, it's, this is what it feels like when mindfulness comes back. As we get attuned to that experience, as we feel into that moment, oh, this is what it's like when mindfulness returns. It's like the, the sensitization or the recognition of that moment consciously begins to um, help us to recognize it when it happens. Because, as I said, it's happening way more often than you are aware of. So just this simple process of being curious about that return, that return of mindfulness, basically helps us recognize the return of mindfulness more. Very simple kind of process. Another great thing about that moment, about this unprompted mindfulness, you didn't have to do anything. It is effortless completely effortless. It's mindfulness without effort. Take that in, in that moment. That was another great learning for me. It's like, oh, wow, here's mindfulness without really, like, trying to turn it up. Here it is. So it's a pointer to that possibility of being aware with ease, of not, of the, 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 the simplicity of just being aware and knowing what's happening. And so when you remember, in that moment of remembering, just first of all simply recognize awareness is back. What's that, what's that like? What's it like? And again, it may not be, it may be kind of not so clear at first. It's okay if it doesn't seem like it's really obvious to you what it means to be aware. Just take in, okay, aware. I know that I'm aware right now. And then it's often helpful also to just recognize what's obvious in this moment. So there's awareness and there's something that awareness is, is kind of aware of in that moment. When, when awareness comes into back, there's something that it's already aware of. And so here it is, mindfulness has returned and it's already aware of something. There's nothing that we have to do in that moment other than, other than explore what is this moment. Often in that moment and early in our retreat practice, we also, we often suggest in that moment when mindfulness returns, come back to the breath. I'd like to suggest you might explore hovering for even just a few moments in that place. See if you can take in the uh, return of mindfulness. 
Notice what mindfulness is knowing in that moment. And then if, that's, if you're practicing with the uh, return to the breath or return to a, a primary experience, that's fine. Doing that, coming back to that experience. And we can also explore the possibility of uh, recognizing already aware and, and now already aware of something else and already aware of something else. See, at times, not always, but at times we can rest back in that very simple awareness and receive experience instead of at that point choosing to direct the attention we receive what the attention is knowing we can explore mindfulness in that way that is a form of mindfulness it is a form of awareness another useful um, piece about that noticing what's already happening there is that, you know, if the mind, has been, the mind has been wandering, right? The mind has gotten lost in thought. It's gone off and it's been doing stuff. It's been thinking about the past or the future or just wandering around lunch or dinner or whatever it's doing. It's, it's, it's ruminating on something or, or it's perhaps it's also can be caught or lost in a state of mind as opposed to thoughts. In any case, when we return, the mind has been doing something else for a few, a few moments or even minutes it may have been doing something else and that something else has been conditioning our experience it's been creating like a new landscape while we weren't looking and when mindfulness returns it's often really useful to recognize what's the landscape like now as, I'm return- as, the mindf- as mindfulness returns what's the landscape like Sometimes when the mind wanders like that, it wanders off into the past and gets involved in um, conversations with partners or friends or co-workers and emotions arise. We can wake up and find, whew, there's a lot happening here. It's really useful to acknowledge that, to know exactly what we're waking up into. If we're not clearly aware of what we're waking up into, it could be kind of a pull back out into the wandering mind. If we don't acknowledge that, oh, the mind is confused and frustrated. Okay, ooh, let me know that. Also, the mind can wander into wholesome states of mind. This is fantastic when this happens. The mind can... I remember at one point I was seeing the mindfulness, the, the mind kept wandering, kept wandering, and I, I kept waking up thinking about these old friends from the Peace Corps. And I'm like, okay, just come back to the breath or whatever. It's just kind of trying to come back. And I, but the mindfulness, kept, the mindfulness kept getting lost. The mind kept wandering into these thoughts about these friends. And finally I decided, well, let's see what's there when I, when I come back. And what was there was metta. A very connected feeling of love that I hadn't really touched into. 
but it had a very strong pull on the mind. And that's what kept my mind going back out to thinking about these friends. As soon as I recognized, oh, the landscape that's been created is metta, I just stayed there. Mindfulness could be present for that. And so that's kind of the side of looking at waking up from the wandering mind, getting curious about the awareness itself, what awareness is aware of, the landscape that's been created when the mindfulness has wandered, when the mind has wandered, mindfulness has gotten lost. The other really, another really useful side to explore is where the mind gets lost. Where does awareness get lost? There's many, many, many ways (laughs) our awareness gets lost. Where does mindfulness get lost? But I'd like to encourage a curiosity about this. At one point I was in a, a group and somebody said, well, either I'm mindful or I'm not. I just don't see how it's possible to, to see where the mindfulness goes. It is actually possible to get curious about the mindfulness getting lost. It doesn't just simply turn off like a switch. There's a process that happens and we can get curious about that process. So this kind of curiosity is one of the great supports for the continuity of mindfulness. Because as we start to get uh, curious about where mindfulness gets lost, it supports our recognizing the places and ways that mindfulness gets lost. And then then we can add some interest to those, those times, those things that we get lost in. This is not so much about trying to force ourselves to say say present. When we begin to notice that the mind gets lost in certain conditions or certain places or times, what I'm going to encourage here is not doubling down to try to hold on to the mindfulness, but rather being curious. What happens in that situation? And so we might lose awareness, we might notice going through our day that we tend to lose awareness doing specific activities. Maybe we notice we tend to lose awareness in our yogi jobs. Or maybe we lose awareness when we go back to our room and close the door. It's like, don't have to be mindful. (sighs) (laughs) Or maybe we lose awareness when we um, walk down the hall for lunch. Or when we enter the dining room just begin to get curious. It's kind of like when we wake up after a period of time of being lost, sometimes we can recognize or remember, oh yeah, I lost it as soon as I stepped into that dining room and saw the table. Or, yeah, I lost it as soon as I closed the door to my room. So we we can kind of reflect a little bit or recognize when we come back what was, what was the thing we were doing? Or where, what are times of the day or places or events where we tend to lose mindfulness? And then, rather than, as again, rather than doubling down and saying, okay, I am going to be mindful when I walk into that dining room. I'm going to hold on to that mindfulness. I encourage curiosity. What happens 
What happens there? What thoughts arise? What sights arise? What emotions arise? That the mind is not seeing. That you're not noticing. Because when the mind wanders like that, there's something that we're missing. We're missing something. The attention has picked up on something. And our conscious mind didn't notice it. So this factor of attention was at work, doing its thing. It was interested in something. So being curious about that. I did this exploration. At one point I really, it was a long retreat here uh, at Spirit Rock. I think it was a two-month retreat. And I, I noticed that, at some point I noticed that I would wake up finding myself staring at myself in the mirror in the bathroom. It's like, wow, I did not, I did not notice the intention to look at the mirror. So something about being in front of the mirror, it's like I got lost in that. And so I just started being curious about it, you know. Again, not trying to double down. I was just more like curious about what's going on in there. Can we, like, figure, can I, can we figure out what's going on in there? Why on earth am I looking at myself in the mirror, just gazing at myself in the mirror? So I just started getting curious about it. Can I, can, can I be curious about that? And so each time I walked into the bathroom, I knew, oh, here's an opportunity. And I would miss it over and over and over again. I'd find myself staring. <laughs> oh, I missed it again. Look at that. Wow, look at that. At some point, at some point when... Um, when I was there in the bathroom, I noticed that while I was washing my hands, I just glanced up at the mirror. And there was this kind of habit to kind of look at myself, you know, what's going on there? What do I look like? It wasn't like some deep-seated thing need to be seen or reflected or anything. It was just a habit. But it was a powerful habit that was unseen. And then seeing the intention there. Mindfulness just continued. So sometimes when the mindfulness gets lost in these areas, you know, don't attribute a big story to it. You know, it might not be any like deep thing. It might just be a habit. We can also find our um, Mindfulness getting lost in states of body, you know, pain, or um, kind of um, really pleasant states in the body. Sometimes when we get concentrated, there's very pleasant bodily experience. And, and we can just get lost in it. It's like we, we can lose mindfulness. It's not like we're, we're thinking, but it's, it's like we just get kind of checked out or zoned out into the pleasantness of that. And so again, beginning to be curious about that, when we get kind of lost in the pleasantness, we're actually not really fully experiencing it. We get lost in pain. There's, there's, there's strategies that our mind often has to deal with pain. Many of you have talked about this in the, in the meetings. You know, when the mind gets stuck by pain, it wants to go off thinking about something pleasant. That's a strategy. 
I noticed this too, you know, when, when my mind was, um, uh, when my body was in pain, I would often find myself kind of checked out into a spaciness. Not particularly thinking, but just kind of zoned out. And when I woke up into that, I recognized that in that place where the mind was zoned out, the pain was not like overwhelming. There, so, so I recognized, well, that's a strategy. The mind has figured out how to kind of like not be overwhelmed by the pain. It was a non-mindful strategy of not being overwhelmed by the pain. But in that seeing, I could recognize, well, gosh, it is possible to have pain and not be like all bent out of shape about it, not all aversive about it. So maybe I can ignore the pain. So I played with that a little bit, just the possibility of like, okay, yeah, the pain, you can be here. There's a lot of other stuff going on right now. You know, like, it's like expanding the container. Like, yeah, there's the pain, but there's also seeing and hearing and pressure in the body and feet on the ground and temperature and thoughts and emotions. There's a lot going on in the present moment. Sometimes, sometimes the experience of pain is kind of like a magnet. And so, you know, expanding that... Um, container. We can see there's a lot going on. So I learned from seeing the strategy that my mind used that there was a possibility of not being magnetized to the pain. But is there a way to do that mindfully? That became my next question. So it's, the mind knows how to do that. Can I, can I encourage the mind to do that mindfully? We also, I think, often lose mindfulness in states of mind. Familiar, perhaps, patterns or habits of mind where we may tend to lose awareness, like boredom, depression, planning. Just what are our favorite thoughts, our favorite uh, kind of ways to get lost? As we wake up, as we, that exploration I talked about, when you wake up, notice the landscape that's there, what's been created over the last little while. Notice that landscape. That often is a helpful uh, tool to help us recognize the states of mind in which we get lost. And in that moment of waking up, so for instance, boredom. You know, the mind, the mind might get lost in boredom. And when we wake up, in the moment of waking up, there's the possibility of recognizing, oh, awareness is here, and the mind is bored. And so uh, the possibility of recognizing boredom doesn't inherently mean non-mindfulness. Or you know, some of these states of mind of planning, doesn't necessarily inherently mean non-mindfulness. And it's possible to kind of be curious about those states of mind, the kind of, the, the mind that's kind of projecting into the future, or the, the mind that just feels disconnected from experience. So the moment when we wake up, 
and recognize what's the landscape. That's a pointer to being able to be present for something that we often habitually aren't present for. So in that moment of waking up, it's like, oh, this is what it's like to be present for planning. This is what it's like to be present for depression. These habitual states that we get lost in can be very strong patterns or habits of mind. Ones that we've done a lot of, (laughs) we've practiced a lot of, the ones that our mind have habitually gone to over and over again. And some of those patterns can be very strong. Some of them can be stronger than our capacity for mindfulness. And so if we wake up into it and notice, oh, depression, it's almost like we just get pulled under again. And so really useful to recognize whether uh, a particular state is, is overwhelming or if we feel like we're being pulled into a rabbit hole around these difficult states of mind. They're usually associated with the hindrances that Bonnie spoke about last night. We can be, there's certain flavors of those that that can just feel like they're pulling us under. And mindfulness, it's like, that pattern is like this really strong wave and mindfulness is like this little trickle. And so when that happens, it's really useful to explore some strategies. Often not so helpful to try to be mindful of that when it's an overwhelming pattern, when it feels like it's pulling us into a rabbit hole but instead try to redirect the attention or broaden the attention as I talked about earlier. It's like, okay, there's a lot of other things going on right now. Sometimes we can redirect the attention. It's like, yeah, okay, you know, you can hang out in the room with me, but I need to pay attention to something else right now. So it's not, this not now or setting aside isn't done with aversion, but it's done with a very compassionate, kind Uh, attitude. It's like, okay, yeah, it's not a helpful thing for me to try to pay attention to that very strong pattern right now. So I'm not going to try to stop you, but I'm going to put my attention on my feet and just walk right now. Just redirecting the attention on something really simple. And often I find a neutral is helpful in that kind of situation. Related to these um, states or states of mind in which mindfulness can tend to get lost or familiar ones for each of us, boredom or depression or planning where mindfulness tends to get lost, there can be some states of mind that more generally we think of as non-mindful. And habitually mindfulness gets lost in, such as spacing out, such as sleepiness, dullness, fogginess, some of these states of mind, we may think spaciness, you know, inherently non-mindful. It's not true. It is a state in which mindfulness is not habitually present, but it is not inherently not possible to be mindful of spaciness. It's kind of like with certain of these states, 
there's an analogy I like to use. Um, if you have a mirror, a mirror just reflects what's in front of us, what's in front of it. It doesn't care what's in front of it, right? I mean, this is kind of the way mindfulness works. A mirror is a pretty good analogy for mindfulness in some ways. Mindfulness also doesn't care what it reflects. Its job is just to know, oh, this is what's happening in the present moment. And so like that, that's the job of a mirror. It reflects what's happening in the room. And now think about that mirror coated by steam. You're standing in front of the mirror. And like you think, the mirror's not doing its job. <laughs> I need to clean it off. It's not doing its job. Well, the mirror doesn't care. It's actually doing its job perfectly. It is reflecting every drop of water on that mirror perfectly. It's just not doing the job we want it to do. And likewise, often with states like sleepiness, dullness, spaciness, we, it's like that fog on the mirror. And often when we enter into those states, we fight them because we think, I can't be mindful in this state. And so, while the mindfulness may be perfectly happy knowing, oh, this is what spaciness is like, we're not perfectly happy with that. We want the mind to be reflecting the clarity of every single little detail of the in-breath. Well, that's not what's happening. And it's possible to be curious about these states, these kind of states of haziness or fogginess or fuzziness. A great thing to check there is, I mean, if, if for instance, here's a little check. How many of you have had the thought, I'm too sleepy to meditate? Many of you. I'd like to propose to you if you are aware of that thought, you have enough awareness to be aware of sleepiness. So just explore that. It, usually when we have that kind of a thought, it means we want to be aware of something other than sleepiness. Or dullness, or fogginess, or spaciness. Explore the possibility. It is actually possible to be mindful of that. At one point I was exploring this. Uh, actually, I was exploring the opposite when I started. I was having a meal. And I noticed the mind kept spacing out. And at that point, my mind was saying, okay, being mindful means paying attention to the eating. So I had this agenda. And so I'd come back and I'd notice the lifting of the fork and the placing of the food in my mouth, the chewing, the tasting. And then the mind would space out again. Oh, come back. Let's space out again. It did it over and over again. At some point, I began to realize, okay, well, hey, let's see if I can watch it space out. And I found that it was possible to be there while the mind spaced out. And what I noticed in that moment, as, as I kind of hung out, it's like, it felt like, almost felt like the mind kind of hovered up to the, you know, top of my head, a little to the right hanging out up here with a little buzzy feeling. It was very restful, very easeful, kind of pleasant. And in that moment, the mind kind of relaxed. It's like, oh, thank you for letting me rest. The mind was looking for rest. It was tired. It, 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 it wanted to take a rest. I had been having this agenda. It's like, do mindfulness, do mindfulness. And the mind's like, oh, I'm tired. Let's take a rest. 
It was going to take its rest whether I wanted to or not. And being aware of it, could watch it rest. It rested. It rested for like 30 seconds. And then I was ready to be present for whatever. The, the, the spaciness dissipated, and then there was, a mo- there was a clarity of... So it was like the fog dispersed at that point, just watching it. So it's a common belief, I think, that, that the mind needs to be in a certain state in order to meditate, or that it feels a certain way. I think sometimes this comes with a familiarity that we have. You know, we, we begin to get a taste of a certain experience of really being able to touch into, for instance, just the detailed sensations as the breath arises or being able to be very stable while thoughts come and go and sensations come and go. We may, we may have a sense of that and it can, it can be a very clear sometimes taste of, you know, just like uh, precise moments of knowing. And we think, oh, that's what it's supposed to be like. Well, that's one way. That's one way it can be. If we're always looking for that, or something in particular, looking for a certain state, looking for a certain kind of configuration of what we think it's supposed to be like, we'll miss other ways that it can be. There's so many different experiences possible when the mind is present. Sometimes it feels like the attention is really focused right down on very specific experience. Sometimes it feels like it's very broad, panoramic. Sometimes it feels like the mind is staying right with one thing and just hangs out there. Sometimes it feels like things are popping in, one thing after another. Pop, 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 pop. Sometimes it feels like many things are happening at the same time. Sometimes it feels like we're an observer and kind of separated from experience. Or like there's, you know, the, there's a clear, like, difference between the, the, the observing and what's observed. Kind of almost a separation in that experience. Sometimes it feels like we're right in the middle of the experience. And so this you know, encouragement to be curious about how is it for you right now? There's so much, so much to see. We can't even fathom how much there is to see. Sometimes experience might just feel completely ordinary. Like, well, this can't be right. Well, wait, I'm aware. This is what it's like to be completely aware and have experience feel really ordinary. So my hope is to encourage you to be interested in exploring your experience. Exploring what is here now. Recognizing the mindfulness, the awareness. Aware, am I aware? And what's here? 
because there's so much to see. As we explore this, we definitely begin to recognize this body and mind are just these processes at work, tumbling on, out of control much of the time. Not me, not mine, not who I am. It also gives us a great education about what our minds are up to. We could call this retreat Your Mind 101. You're really going to get to know your mind. And I still feel like I'm doing Your Mind 101. It's just like different levels (laughs) of Your Mind 101. Your Mind 101 is a kind of, a 101 is a, is a phrase and just realize that that's kind of an American thing. It's uh, often a, um, the first course in college, an introductory course in college. Psychology 101 is the very first psychology course you take or math 101 or, and so this course is your mind 101, your introduction to your mind what it does. And it encourages us to kind of move from judging our experience, thinking I need to figure out how to make it be a certain way, to more just like, oh, it's like this. This is how it is. However it is, there's the possibility of waking up for that. So let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.